0: Father, we know that revival doesn't just start in our communities, but that revival starts in our own hearts. Which is why we're here this morning, Father, which is why we come to your word, because we know that we need need you to to rework and reshape our hearts, Um, that our hearts are prone to wander, and we need to keep coming back to you and being guided by the Good Shepherd back to the paths of righteousness. And so we, we come to your word now, Lord, because we want to be led by You, we want to be fed by You, we want to be protected by Your Word and so we pray that through Your Word now that You would speak to us, Um, each one of us here that we would hear You clearly and powerfully and if we're here this morning and we need to be fed, we pray that You would feed us. And if we're here this morning and we need to be led, we pray that You would lead us and if we're here this morning and we need to be corrected, we pray that You would correct us so that we would look to You and follow You and that we would walk on the paths of righteousness that you've laid out for us. And so, Father, speak, we pray, this morning. And then may you open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, and our hearts to receive what you have to say to us this morning. All God's people said, amen. Amen. We're looking at John chapter 5. Uh, verses 19 through 30. So if you have your Bibles with you, or if you want to pull one out of the pew, you can open up to John 5, 19 through 30. Otherwise, the, the passage will be up on the screen, but sometimes it's just nice to have the Bible open in front of you, and you can see the whole context of everything I'm talking about. We've got two more, this sermon and next week, going through John, and then we'll be taking a break from John for a little bit, and, and the, the first Sunday in Lent is the last Sunday of February. So we'll be transitioning into a series of Lent for a little bit, taking a break from John, and then we'll, after Easter we'll jump back into John for a little bit. Um, but this morning we're on John chapter 5, verses 19 through 30. And remember that this passage is coming right after Jesus heals the man who had been an invalid for 38 years, The Jews were angry, and it said the Jews were seeking to kill him because he kept on healing people on the Sabbath, and he kept on saying, or he kept on making himself equal with God by calling God his Father. Um, And so this is Jesus' response to that. Uh, Jesus gave them this answer I tell you the truth. The Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what He sees His Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all He does. Yes, to your amazement, He will show Him even greater things than these. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom He is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who doesn't honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. I tell you the truth. A time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son to have life in Himself. And He has given Him authority to judge because He's the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this. For a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear His voice and come out those who have done good will rise to live and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear and my judgment is just for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. <clears throat> well, there's, there's been this uh, tendency... Um, throughout the history of the church, um, to try to kind of create some level of separation between um, Jesus and and the Father. And and one of the ways that that happens is by separating um, Jesus from other parts of the Bible. And so like one of the first things that happened early on in in church history was there was a guy named um, Marcion. and, And he said, you know the old testament is that god is just like an angry vengeful wrathful god and jesus he's all about love and grace and mercy so really what we should do is just throw out the old testament because that's not we just don't have to pay attention to that anymore we just pay attention to jesus and the church said no and uh like that's not something that just happened 2000 years ago that's happening Today, still, there's a pretty well-known pastor who got himself in a lot of controversy. It's about a year or two ago. He's still getting himself in controversy for saying some of these things. Andy Stanley, who's, uh, um, but a couple years ago, he said, you know what, we need to unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. And the answer has been, for a long time, no. Um, And... But people do this in, I think, more subtle ways. I I, I see this happen quite a bit where people will kind of separate the words of Jesus from the words of the Old Testament or even from other parts parts of the New Testament. And so when you get on some of the really hot button, kind of controversial issues that are going on today, people will say things like, well, Jesus never talked about it, so therefore... We don't need to talk about it, right? And so, like, when you start talking about some of the hot-button issues like gender and gender roles, people say, well, Jesus never talked about that. So Paul talked about that. But Paul's kind of, he kind of hates women. You know, so, like, we don't have to listen to Paul. We just listen to Jesus. Or or you get into issues around sexuality, right? You'll hear a lot of people say, like, well, Jesus never talked about it. Sure, Leviticus in the Old Testament talks about it. Sure, Maybe Paul talks about it, but Jesus didn't talk about it, So, which is wrong, by the way. Jesus did talk about it. But, but the problem is, when Scripture itself talks about itself, it says this. It says, all Scripture is breathed out by God. And that's pretty clear. All of it. <laughs> Not some of it, but, but all of it is breathed out by God. Uh, The words of Jesus are breathed out by God. The words that Paul wrote down in his epistles, breathed out by God. Um, The words of Moses, breathed out by God. David, James, you know, I could just keep listing them off. They're all breathed out by God. And and what we're going to see as we get into our passage this morning, as Jesus starts to talk about his relationship with the Father, Jesus never puts any separation between him and the Father. Never. He actually repeatedly says, like, they're so united, he and the Father are so united, that Jesus never says or does anything apart from the Father's will. Um, And so, when we start seeing people try to say, like, well... God did this, but Jesus did that. Nah. Um, And actually, what what Jesus is telling the Jewish leaders in this context is, um, if you have a problem with the things that I'm saying and doing, you actually don't have just a problem with me. You have a problem with the Father. Um, Which is why Jesus says this, right? So the conflict comes up because Jesus says... They're like, you're, you're doing things on the Sabbath that you shouldn't be doing. And Jesus says, well, my father's working and now, and I'm working. Like I'm, I'm doing the work of the father. And so the Jews are like, that's why they're trying to kill him. Right? Not only was he breaking the Sabbath in their mind, he could almost put that in quotes, breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And so that's why they're trying to kill him. And so Jesus says, actually, guys, truly, truly, I say to you that the Son, me, I can do nothing of my own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. All right. And, and so what Jesus is saying, he's saying, like, if you have a problem with the things that I'm saying and the things that I'm doing you have a problem with the Father because I'm only saying and doing the things that the Father says and does. And so, like, if you have a problem with with me healing a man and telling him to take up his mat on the Sabbath, you don't just have a problem with me. You have a problem with the Father because everything I do and say is perfectly in line with what the Father says. Does and say it says I, I. There's no separation between us. Um, I can do nothing. Right? It's not that Jesus. It's it's impo- But it actually is impossible for Jesus to do anything other than what the Father does because they're one. They're they're united, and so he has to live in line with what the Father does. Um, and, and this unity actually speaks to another reason why Jesus is responding this way because it's kind of interesting the way that they say this it's that the Jews were angry at Jesus because he was making himself equal with God and I think Jesus is responding this way and by saying basically I'm actually not making myself anything I'm not like I'm not trying to elevate myself to the position of God. I'm not trying to exalt myself to the position of God. I'm already equal with God. <laughs> I, I've been equal with God from the beginning of, of eternity, right? We read that at the beginning of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word is with God, and the Word was God. He, I've, I've always been equal with God. I'm not elevating myself or trying to exalt myself. I just am. <laughs> Which is why Everything I do is what the Father does. Um, and, and there's a really great, you know, D.A. Carson had this line. He uses, talks about an oblique claim, which, that's a really weird way to say it. It means, like, pretty clear. <laughs> he said, this is also constitutes another pretty clear claim to Jesus' deity, because only one who could conceivably do whatever the Father does must be as great as the Father and as divine as the Father right? Jesus says, whatever the Father does, that's what I'm doing. Now, if you said that, you'd be in trouble, right? Because you don't have the power, the authority, the ability, the divinity to do whatever the Father does. But Jesus is saying, I do. And so whatever I do is what the Father does. We've been united. We've been one. We are equal. Which is why he goes on later and he says, Actually, whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. And that's, you know, one of the things that jumped out about me about that statement. I've always thought about this statement just in general, but, but in this context, it's really a, it is really a rebuke to the Jewish leaders. Because um, what, what Jesus is saying is, you guys think, you're honoring the Father right now. You think you're honoring the Father by your your strict Sabbath laws. You actually think you're honoring the Father by seeking to kill me. But he says, you can't actually honor the Father and dishonor me at the same time. You can't do that. And so by, by dishonoring me, what are they doing? They're dishonoring the Father as well. And so he's, he's telling them, you can't seek to kill me and claim to honor the father at the same time. There's no way. The only way to honor the father is, is through me. And, you know, this correction goes both ways. And, and I think it's really, I think it's just really helpful for us to keep on remembering because, so on the one hand, there there are, you know, we have this, in our culture today, we have on the one hand, we have a group of people just like walking away from faith and Christianity and atheism is kind of growing. Um, but actually what's growing isn't necessarily atheism. It's uh, like a vague spirituality. And so there's a lot of people who would say, well, I'm I'm spiritual. and And you can talk to a lot of atheists who like meditate and pray and do all these spiritual things. And so there's like this... Movement in our culture of people wanting to seek God, find God, but find him in their own way. And it's always apart from Jesus. Right? Because if you're going to seek it through Jesus, then you're going to become a Christian. Um, And so Jesus is reminding people you actually, there is no way to God except through me, right? You can't, you can't, you can't worship God except through me. You can't honor God and reject me at the same time or, or ignore me. And so this is just another reminder from Jesus, like I'm the only way to the Father. There's no way to get to the Father apart from me. You can't, you can't meditate your way to the Father at, at, apart from Jesus. You can't work your way to the Father. You can't, you can't worship your way to the Father. The only way is, is through Jesus. And if you dishonor Jesus or you reject Jesus or ignore Jesus you're also ignoring and rejecting and dishonoring the Father. It's, it's the same thing. They're, the only way is, is through Him. But but what's kind of interesting is, uh, on the flip side, I see, I see a lot in our culture where people really like Jesus, generally. Um, and so a lot of people will be like, Jesus was great. He was super loving, super kind. He was nice. He was a good teacher. He did a lot of good things. And but man the old testament god he's he's terrible you know and so there there there's this kind of shift where people are trying to they want to honor jesus but dishonor the father and, and dishonor the other parts of scripture or dishonor just who god is they're like well jesus he's great but god the father not so much and and jesus is also saying can't do that either. Because everything I'm saying and doing are the same things that the Father is saying and doing. Um, so if you're, if you're dishonoring the Father, you're also then going to be dishonoring me because I'm doing and saying the same things as, as He is. We're, we're one. We're united. You can't, you can't have one without the other. You can't pick and choose. You can't say like, well, I, I don't like this part, but I like Jesus. And so I'm going to... No, you, you, it's, a, it's a package deal. And, you know, throw the Holy Spirit in there too. <laughs> you, can't, you can't take Jesus and the Father without this Holy Spirit either. Um, and so he's saying you, you can't honor Jesus and dishonor the Father at the same time. That, that's impossible. You're, you're actually dishonoring both in the same way. You can't try to honor the Father and dishonor Jesus. If you're doing that, you're dishonoring both of them. If you want to honor the Father have to honor Jesus. If you want to honor Jesus, you have to also honor the Father. Because they're one. And and whatever Jesus says and does are the things that the Father says and does. And, And Jesus starts to explain some of those things that he's doing that the Father does. He says, the Father, he raises the dead and he gives them life. So also the Son gives life to whom he will. And he goes on. He explains why that is. He says, the father has life in himself. So He has also granted the son to have life in himself. Right there, There's this idea that Jesus says the father, he has life in himself. And it's not even that. It is the father is life itself. There, he's the source of life. All life comes from the father. And Jesus says, since I'm so united with the father, guess what? I have life. I, I am life. It, I'm the source of life, all, all of it. And he says, and then the Father, because he's the source of life, he can, he can raise the dead. He can give life to whomever he wills. And Jesus says, since I'm so united with the Father, and I have life, and I am life, I can raise the dead. And I have life in and of myself. And, and why he's talking about this, on the one hand, it maybe seems kind of like, why are you talking about this? This is kind of random. But, but the reason is, is, why is this conflict happening? Because he just healed a man who had been an invalid for 38 years. Now, how in the world could Jesus heal that man with a word? Jesus says, I do what the Father does. The Father has life, I have life. The Father can raise the dead, I can raise the dead. And if I can raise the dead, I can heal that man. And then eventually he goes, I'm gonna do a lot more than that, (laughs) right? So he's explaining that. Just a few chapters before that, he healed an official's son, right? From 20 miles away with a word. How can you do that? Jesus says, well, I have life. I am life. I can can raise the dead. That's how I can do these things. But there's more because as we've also looked at these, these last two miracles, Jesus was never settling just for a physical healing, was he? He was always wanting more than the physical healing. So when he healed the official son, he told the man, you know, he, he rebuked the man so that he would realize that there's more. Like, why are you only seeking a miracle? You need to be like a physical miracle. You need to be looking for something else. And that man believed, right? Last week, the man, last week, two weeks? No, it was last week, right? I get them all mixed up. Either way, when he healed the invalid, he went to the invalid and said, yeah, look, you're physically healed, but you need more. You need spiritual healing. Turn from your sin so that you'd be saved. And that man didn't turn from his sin. And so Jesus is is coming in now and saying, I have authority and power to give life. Physical life, I can do these kind of healings, but these healings are nothing compared to the reason why I'm really here. I'm here to raise dead souls back to life. Um, Which is why he goes on, he says, anytime you hear Jesus say truly, truly, that's that's not just a way of talking. It's not him just talking funny. It's like him, like pounding the pulpit saying, pay attention to what I'm about to say here. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. And so you see, Jesus is, is telling them, like, I have life. I can raise the dead. I can, I can heal people because I have life. But ultimately, I'm here to bring more than physical healing i'm here to heal souls i'm here to bring a life that lasts beyond this life a life that lasts for eternity and you know he's this is what he's been talking about when he says like you you think you're kind of worked up about the the miracle that i did for this this invalid like wait till you see what i'm really here to do <laughs> like i'm here to to transform souls, to give people eternal life, like, that's, re- you know, you, he didn't say it this way. This is like the redneck, like, that's really going to knock your socks off. You know, like, if, when I come and, and I like heal people's souls and they get eternal life, that's, that's why I'm here. That's the real reason. And, and he even, like, the very next verse, he says it again. He says, truly, truly, again, saying, if you didn't hear me the first time, Hear me the second time, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here. Pay attention to that. We'll get back to that. An hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. And he's saying, you saw how I spoke and a man who had been an invalid for 38 years was healed? A time is coming and is now here when I'm going to speak. And souls that have been dead for a very long time, they'll be raised from the dead. They will come to life and it'll happen now. At my voice. And souls will happen now. And, and, and eventually we'll talk about the physical bodies will come out of the grave. But Jesus is like, the physical bodies coming out of the grave, that's nothing. That's the little stuff. That's small potatoes. Souls that are dead, I can speak. And they'll come to life now and he said the hour is coming when that happens but he says when is it it's now right now which is which is incredible because you know if you've ever heard us talk about the bible there's like this already not yet that you can hear that but but there's a sense where that life that jesus brings that resurrection life we have here now we don't have to like it's not like this life is just a life where we just suffer and struggle and long for the day when Jesus will come again and make all things new. There is suffer. There is struggling. We do long for that day. But Jesus is saying, that hour is coming, but it's also here now. You, have a ta- you can have a taste of that in this life. You can taste that resurrection life in your soul and in your body. And, and that little taste gives you hope and excitement and love and actually should help you long for the day when you're going to really fully experience that when Jesus Christ comes again on the last day. Um, but Jesus reminds us too in this passage that not, like, not everyone gets that life. He says, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment but has passed from death to life. And so he's saying, not everyone gets that resurrection life. Only those who hear his word and believe him who sent him, right? Or as you're going to hear the vast majority of the way Jesus says it in John, whoever believes in me has eternal life, receives that resurrection life now and will receive the fullness of that resurrection life for all of eternity. That's who will receive that and you'll be, you will be—you will not come into judgment then. You'll be saved from the judgment. You'll pass from death into life. Now, but more fully in eternity. But the opposite is also true is what Jesus is getting at. For those who hear his word and don't believe and those who reject his word and turn away from him, he says they, they don't receive that life. And they will come into judgment. Um, and which is what he also says. He says, actually, the Father's given me authority to execute judgment because the Son, Jesus, is the Son of Man. He says, don't marvel at this. An hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear His voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So Jesus is reminding that On the one hand, he has power and authority to bring life and to raise people from the dead, body and soul. And on the other hand, the Father has given him authority to execute judgment. Um, And he reminds that there is a day when everyone will be raised from the dead. Um, Everyone will be raised from the dead and will come before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ and the Father has given him authority to judge. And he says here... All who have done good will go to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Which should kind of bother you a little. <laughs> because you're like, but haven't we just been talking about that we're saved by grace through faith? Doesn't this make it sound like we're saved by what we've done, by our, by our works, by, by what we're doing? Um, didn't Jesus just say, like, whoever believes in me? We'll, we'll be saved from the judgment. So, why is he judging people based on whether they've done good or, or whether they've done evil? And I think one of the easier analogies, there's a lot of different ways to talk about this. One that um, I thought of this week is, is Jesus' analogy of a tree and its fruit. You know, elsewhere in the Gospels, Jesus says, um, You'll know a tree by its fruit. And so he says, if you go up to a tree and you see that the tree has good fruit, then you know that the tree itself is good. And if you go up to a tree and the tree has bad fruit, then you'll know that the tree is, is bad. Um, and he's saying you'll know true disciples by, by their fruit. And it's hard in this life. I get that. We, there's, it's never like perfectly clear to us. It is perfectly clear to Jesus Christ. Um, but, but what he's saying is that when you look at the fruit of someone's life, it, it, ha, it will reflect the truth of their faith. And so he says, if you look at someone's life and their life is exhibiting fruit, that, according to Scripture, by the way, fruit according to Scripture that, that's the result of true faith, then he's saying they have a true faith. And if you look at someone's life and their, their life is not exhibiting fruit of a true faith, then most likely there's no true faith there. And so he's saying on the judgment day, people will be judged based on the fruit that was produced from their either faith or, or their lack of faith. And so we're, it's just to reminder: we are still saved by grace through faith. But as, John, or as James says, we're saved by a faith that's not dead, a faith that works, a faith that changes our lives and changes the way we act. And it doesn't ever produce perfect fruit in this life. And it doesn't perfectly, always consistently produce good fruit, but there's fruit there. You can see it, right? I, I've noticed lately, there's, it's been this interesting thing. I can go, like, I'll be, like, I was in Chicago a couple weeks ago and in a store talking with somebody. And I'm like, there's something different about this person. So I just eventually was like, are you Christian? Yeah. It's like, boom. Like, you can just tell. Just the interaction with them. They're, they're Like, their face looks different even because just, you know, your face is, shows your, what's going on in your heart, right? So there's, there's something different. You can just read it because there's, there's fruit there. You can you can just tell. And Jesus says, that's that's what will be judged on, on the last day. And, you know, I was thinking, as I was thinking this week, I, you know, I think these are things we need to think about more. We, we kind of shy away from them because it's hard. It's really hard to think about these things. And and uh, I think there's been a fear, uh, just uh, growing up in the church, I've, I felt like there's been a fear that if we think about the, the judgment day, we'll be just kind of gloomy, grumpy, grouchy, maybe crushed, right? People, right? We'll just, we'll be kind of like a sourpuss, right? Or like the Puritans, right? That's what everybody thinks about. Oh, the Puritans, they, they're, they're actually pretty joyful people. But anyways, um, if we think about the judgment too much, we're going to be that way, right? And yet... When you read through church history, um, most of the church history up until the last like 100 years, they've encouraged Christians, like it's good for you to constantly meditate about the last day. They've told Christians that. One quote, always bear in mind that we must give an account in the dread judgment of God for what we say and what we do. And I think that's important for us to remember. Um, and they and the church has encouraged Christians to kind of think spend some time thinking like what would my life look like when it's standing when it's presented before Jesus Christ on on the on the throne of judgment like what what will he have to say about about my life on that day or or you know before you make an action <laughs> think what will this action look like um, when it presented before Jesus Christ on the throne of judgment on that day. I mean, I think social media would be a lot better place if everyone was asking like, what would this social media post, what will it look like when Jesus sees this on the judgment day? I think it would probably change the way we, we used social media, the way we responded. I think it would change the way we interact with people. I think it's actually a good and healthy thing. It can become a a morbid thing that's not helpful, kind of a like beat yourself up kind of a thing. But, but it's there. Scripture tells us to to think about that, and I think we haven't thought about that as a church. And I think as a result, we've we, we've suffered because of that. So I, I want to encourage you to, uh, to think. Spend some time this week thinking about the judgment. And yet, I also want to say not just about the judgment. Because if you only, and this is where the problem comes in, if you if you only are functioned on the judgment, um, it will crush you. Because none of us can stand before the judgment throne of Christ. Um, you know, none of us will be able to stand before Jesus and be like, look at my life, I've done good, bring me. He's going to go like, no. Nah. Um, when you stand before, you know, this is the, I don't remember who I heard this from, but somebody said, when you stand before the judgment throne of Christ and he says, why should I let you into my heaven? You say, I've got nothing but Jesus Christ. His life is why I can have eternal life because I have failed repeatedly, but he didn't. And so that's all I've got. And then at that point, he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master.'" And so that judgment throne is there to bring us to Jesus and to look to Jesus for his resurrection power in our lives. It's a reminder to us repeatedly that you can't do this on your own. You need Jesus Christ. And thank God, he not only has the power to judge, but he has the power to raise you to life, to raise your soul to life, to give life to your bodies, and a life that doesn't just cleanse us and renew us, you know, like that's a huge thing. Don't ever, don't ever let think that I'm trying to downplay that because that's massive. The cleansing and the forgiving of Jesus Christ, the cleansing of our sin, that's what he was talking about, right? Whoever believes in him is saved from the judgment, will be cleansed and renewed. But also part of this is I will give you life. I will cleanse you, I will renew you, and then I will change you and I'll give you life, that now, now you can actually walk the paths of righteousness that I've laid out for you. As I, as I shepherd you down the paths of righteousness, now you can actually kind of do it because you have the life of Jesus Christ in you. And what's even more powerful is that because of Jesus Christ, he says you've been freed from the judgment, which means you don't have to live your life afraid of messing up. You know, it's one of my favorite Martin Luther quotes that bothers people a lot. But he told, uh, his, his ment- a guy that he was mentoring was Philip Melanchthon, and he was kind of one of these really uptight people, and he was just always afraid that he was going to mess up. And Luther goes, Melanchthon, sin boldly. And, and he didn't say, like, go out and just sin. He said, just live. You're not under the judgment of God. Live. Live. And if you mess up, you have a Savior. He'll forgive you. He'll cleanse you. He'll renew you. He'll put your feet on the path. So you don't have to live life always tiptoeing around, worried that the judgment hammer of God's going to come down on you. You are freed to just live and recognize, I'm going to mess up. And thank God I have a Savior who forgives me and cleanses me so you can live. And then as you live, guess what happens? You produce good fruit. And you produce good fruit that brings glory and honor to Jesus Christ and glory and honor to the Father who sent him. Let's come to our God in prayer. Father, we are so thankful that you're our shepherd once again. We're so thankful that we will lack nothing. We're thankful, Father, because... We look at our lives and we look at the world and we look at all of the needs and the things that need to get done and we clearly see that we're, we fall so far short. That we, we clearly see that we, we personally lack everything and yet we're reminded that in you we lack nothing because you're our shepherd, that you've given us everything we need for life and godliness. You've given us the salvation that we need. You've given us the cleansing that we need. You've given us the strength and the guidance and the power to live the life you've called us to. And you've given us that future glory to look forward to when we will fully receive the resurrection life that you've offered. We're so thankful, Father. and we, we confess that we often just wander off and, and do our own things. We often... reject your resurrection life. We reject your guidance. Try to do it on our own. So Father, forgive us for that. Forgive us for any attempts we've ever made to try to separate Father from the Son, to try to reject parts of your word over other parts. Lord, forgive us for that. Forgive us for living lives that, that don't reflect on the future judgment and our future salvation. Forgive us. Father, we also want your guidance. We want you to shepherd us through your Holy Spirit. We want your Spirit to to bring to mind that that future judgment day. May it it shape our actions now. Remind us of how you've called us to live in the world. May you call to mind our, our salvation that we have now, but also that salvation that is coming in its fullness. Father, may you use all of these things to lead us beside quiet waters, to lead us to green pastures and to lead us in paths of righteousness for your namesake, for your glory and your honor. So Father, take us out from here to live in the world in a way that brings glory and honor to you through your son, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. amen.